You know, every day when we wake up, most of us brush our teeth, brush our hair, we put on our, our day face, we may shave, you know, we get ourselves ready, we pick out clothes that we think will be, you know, desirable for the environment, whatever kind of uh, duties we have for that day. We, we put a lot of emphasis on the externals. We make sure that we're presentable on the outside, that we smell good, that we're not going to be offensive in our dress and our appearance. And so this is kind of a, a cultural norm in our society that we want to look our best. We want to present ourselves for the environment that we are about to go in for that day. But have you ever stopped in the morning to think about something? When you look in the mirror, have you ever considered that looking back at you is the real you? Inside your inner life, there is a condition of our hearts. Have we ever stopped and thought about observing the condition of our heart? Today, we're going to discover what it means to be pure in heart and why that that really even matters. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, the inner life, for they shall shall see God. Two words right there, I automatically have to just stop and, and dig a little deeper and define two words in that text because the words pure and heart need a little more elaboration. The word pure defined means clean, undefiled, without blemish, pure. There are things in our lives that we demand are pure. I'll get there in just a minute. But God says that when we are pure, when we are clean, unblemished, and undefiled in heart, then there is a promise attached. We are going to see God. What about our heart? What are we talking about our heart? Am I talking, when I say heart, am I talking about the organ that is pumping blood through your body right now that has ventricles and valves and, and is, is so complex and, and is, is uh, the, 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 the center of your life? Am I talking about that organ? No, when, I, when the Bible says heart, it's not really talking about the organ pumping blood through your body. When the Bible says heart, it's talking about, get this, your inner life. The real you, your inner life, your thoughts, your motives, your emotions, the heart of man. What's happening on the inside? You see, the ways of this world system and culture are at best contaminated with impurities. At worst, they are rotten to the core. If we look at the world systems, if we look at uh, all of the things that are happening outside of the domain of God, that are just when man is left to his own vices, things get corrupted. But stop for a minute and think of how many things in this world, how many things even in modern culture, as, as, as far off base as modern culture is, think about how many things we demand that are pure, undefiled, not blemished. How about our water supply? When you turn on your tap and you get some water out of there, you don't expect for it to come out green. You're not going to take a big gulp, right? You expect that when you turn on the faucet, there is going to be a clean amount of water. You would not buy a bottle of water with floaties in it and say, that looks good to drink, right? You demand that it be unblemished, undefiled. What about when a loved one or, or yourself, you go to a hospital and you need to receive a blood transfusion? Do you expect that maybe it'll have a, a little bit of contaminants in it and that's okay? Maybe it'll be about 50% good and 50% blemish. No, you expect for it to be pure and undefiled. These are things that we just commonly expect and anticipate in our lives. And yet, when we think about our own inner life, we can allow contaminants to come in. 
There are things that, that this world it, right now is grappling with to make sure that there is, is a, a, a cleanliness and a supply. How about baby formula? I mean, right now, there's a shortage of baby formula. A plant had to be shut down because there was contaminants in it. How about peanut butter? Anybody been looking for your favorite GIF? You can't find it. I had to go to our cabinet and throw out five big size jars of peanut butter. I'm sorry that we're peanut butter hoarders, but that's what we do around our house, all right? We eat a lot of peanut butter. But now you have to jump to another brand because there was a contaminant in the processing plant. And maybe, just maybe, there would have been salmonella in your bottle of peanut butter. We do not tolerate contaminations in our water, in our food, in our blood, in our precious metals, but we, can, we, we tolerate contaminants so often in our inner life. We just look over them. And here Jesus links our heart or what's on the inside, the real you, with what happens on the outside, our daily experiences. And this is not the first time or the only time that he makes such a connection. When you find something in scripture that links to something else, pay attention because there is a layer upon layer, a precept upon precept teaching that God wants to impress upon our minds and upon our hearts. Matthew 12 and 34 says this, for out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. Modern Therapy and, and psychology is just catching up with the Bible because it is not from your mind that you speak. You think it's from your mind. It's really the inner you, your emotions, your motivations, your, your thoughts have a part in it. But Jesus said that from your heart, your mouth speaks. Now, I love to play around and joke and have a good time. And, and I, I will banter with the best of them. In fact, if, if you and I are out and, and we're kind of maybe breaking bread or we're, we're having a fellowship and you don't joke with me, I probably will assume you don't like me, okay? So, so joking and having a good time is fine. But have you ever been around someone that just, in, in a sense, maybe their personality is kind of like sandpaper? You ever been around a person that when they say something, you know that there's a deeper meaning underneath it. When, when they make one of those quips, there's just something about the edge of what they said or how they said it that doesn't quite sit right with you. And then many times they'll follow it up with something like, well, I was just joking. And if you take offense, that's on you because I was just joking. No, what they're doing is they're just telling the truth because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I once had a Bible college instructor that would say to make sure that you keep your words sweet for you never know when you might have to eat one of them. And so if what is happening on the inside of here is being spoken out of your mouth, Jesus said out of the abundance of the overflow of the heart, your mouth is talking, what kind of fruit and vegetation is coming from your lips? When we offer God praise, we do so offering him thanksgiving, the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name. Have you ever thought about your mouth being a garden? It is producing fruit. There is life, the power of life and death in your tongue. And Jesus said that your mouth will only say what your heart is already full of. So what is your heart overflowing with? The psalmist made a similar link in Psalm 24. Now we know Psalm 23 pretty well. I just used it yesterday for, for a funeral. We, we, we quote that pretty often, but if you just go to the next chapter, you go to Psalm 24, 
This is a Psalm of David. Now, David didn't write all the Psalms, but here is a Psalm of David. And one thing we know about David is that he was a man after God's heart. He was a man that was pursuing the heart of God, the, the inner life of the realm of the unseen. He was pursuing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know that David was a worshiper, and so he was very circumspect with the words that he would speak because he knew that his mouth was producing praise or it was producing complaint. And here is what David had to observe when it comes to the matters of the heart and worship. He said, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord. And he's talking about the place of worship. Jerusalem was up on a hill, and so the hill of the Lord would be the place where God was revered, where God was worshiped. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and what? A pure heart. He who has clean hands Ceremonially, he's washed. He went through the first part of the outer court. There was a washing there. And then when you get inside in the inner court, there's another type of a washing. And so you have to ceremonially cleanse your hands, being clean on the outside. But he who has clean hands, he doesn't stop there, and a pure heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He, he says this, he says, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Now, we easily can pass over this in our context because we don't have Buddhas and statues sitting on our mantle that we bow down to and say, I don't worship idols. No, idols are completely different in our culture. In fact, in their day, they were so commonplace, it was easy to overlook them. You know how that someone can come into your house <clears throat> And something that has been sitting there for a very long time that you've passed over, you probably haven't even realized that it was out of place for so long because it's been there for such a, a length of time that you just start looking at it. But someone can come in or you can go to someone's house and you can see quickly something that's out of place. That's how it is with idols, is that we easily overlook idols. We easily overlook things that we worship, are bowing down our hearts. It's anything that gives precedence, gives uh, priority over what God wants to do in his place in our life. Nor has sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord. I didn't give him this part. And the righteousness from God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Face to face. Wait a minute, preacher. I thought that no one could see God face to face or they would die. This is an experience of your inner life seeing the inner life of God, seeing what is truly life and joy and peace. You see, the pure in heart, they have no ulterior motives. They have no fear of trying to gain advantage over you before you take advantage of them because their motives are purified. Their motives are out there for all to see. They fully trust God with the details of their life, so they're not, they're not trying to gain advantage. They're not trying to stair step. They're not trying to maneuver or manipulate. Rather, trusting God for everything, all the activity of your life, I serve him now, and I will see his glory in the future. I will see his glory here today, and I will see his glory tomorrow and in the future. Now, in the Old Testament, in order to have a pure heart, it was by means of ritual. 
You had to do the right washings, the right prayers. You had to come at the right time of day. There could only be atonement one time a year, and that only the high priest could go in and make atonement. So it was very orderly. It was very timely. There was a process and a procedure to everything in the worship ceremony. It was all by ritual. So to be pure at heart, you had to do the right things ritualistically. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, after Jesus, then we see that having a pure heart is not by ritual, it is by righteousness. And how then do we become righteous? It's not by our works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. So it's not things that we can check the box and say, okay, I read my chapter of 555 for the day. I'm going to read the whole New Testament throughout the year. We're all still doing that, right, by the way? Okay, it's on the website. If you, if you have, listen, we, we, this is Amnesty Sunday on the 555. I just thought I'd put that in there. If you fell off the wagon at any place this year on the 555, go to the website, newfc.org. You can print off a new page and you can start fresh today right where you are and God forgave everything you didn't read to this point. Isn't that good news? Amen. That's good news. That's good news. I figured I might just bless you with that mid-year. So ritualistically in the Old Testament, you had to do all of these things, check the boxes. And if you did those things, regardless of what your heart was like, you did them on the outside. Therefore, you were able to enter in. In the New Testament, watch this. It doesn't matter what you look like, smell like, or feel like on the outside. What matters is the condition of your heart. That's New Testament. So we need to stop looking at the appearances and judging people on the outside. The, the, the book cover may not look pleasant, but it could be the best words you've ever read. Get to know somebody that doesn't look like you, vote like you, smell like you, live like you. Get to know somebody. You might just find something about them that is attractive to God because it's by Jesus' righteousness that we have this purity of our heart. Now, we've been talking every week about a posture change, changing our posture. You know, I've heard it said that posture in prayer makes no difference. You can pray while you're sitting down. You can pray while you're kneeling. You can pray with your eyes closed. The Bible even says to watch and pray. And if you're driving your car and and you're listening to this, this podcast right now, and I'm saying, let's pray, don't close your eyes. You need to be biblical, watch and pray. There are times that you need to do that. But that is posture. Let's change our posture. I read this in a book about these different beatitudes and a posture. Instead of having the posture like this, covering up our face to hide ourselves, let's have a posture of surrender, lifting up our hands, saying, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing by which that I need to be ashamed of because God sees all, God knows all, and I'm not hiding. But I have to address that question. Why then do we hide? Don't we all hide? Sometimes. But why do we hide? There is a a central theme of why we hide, and it really boils down to shame. Shame. A fear of being exposed, found out, or deemed messed up. There is this fear on the inside of us that if someone really knew what was happening on the inside, if someone really could survey my thought life, if someone really knew what I just thought about what you said, if someone really could experience what's happening on the inside of my heart and mind, then I wouldn't be accepted. 
They wouldn't want me around this church if they really knew what I was struggling with. If they really knew what I was going through, if they really knew we have shame for what we think, for where we go, for the things we do, and therefore we hide. It is a human instinct to hide, to not show your true feelings, your inner self, to not allow your insecurities to peek out because if someone sees my insecurities, then they can seize upon my fears and they may take advantage of me. This goes all the way back to our garden ancestors. When Adam and Eve were in the cool of the garden and they decided to disobey God and they tasted and they took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they went into hiding. That is human instinct, hiding. I've done wrong, therefore I hide. Isn't it cute when you get a little two or three-year-old that does something wrong and they hide by just closing their eyes? Like you can't see them. That shows you that it is innate. It is wired in us that if I just close my eyes, you can't see me. You don't know what I just did. Caught with their hand in the cookie jar and they hide, they lie, they deceive. They st- but they're so cute, so we let them off the hook, right? It's a human instinct. So we hide because we're shameful. And there is a sense in which that shame is well-placed because we should feel guilty or we should feel remorse, I should say, over the things which we've done wrong. But here's what I want you to see about the activity of God is that even while they were hiding, God came seeking, God came searching, God came knocking, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. It was kind of a rhetorical question, but it it expresses the desire in the heart of God to go after the one that is shame, to go after the one that has fallen, to go after the one who is in the quagmire. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming love. Before I knew that I had a need, God was already searching out for me to give me the solution. While I was yet a sinner, that's when Christ died for me. Not when I cleaned my act up. Not when I ritualistically went through all the washing and I checked off all the boxes and I read the chapters like I should and I prayed like I should. Not then is when God found me. He found me, he sought me, and he bought me with his redeeming blood. With his limitless love. Regardless of anything that I had done on the outside, he was still searching for me to change on the inside. They covered up, they hid because they had lost, get this, their purity. They had lost their purity, the cleanness, the the unobstruction of their heart. Now, we do this in a posture of hiding, but we no longer do it with hands. We use real masks and we use figurative masks. Now, I don't have to talk long about masks for you to mentally get a picture of what it looks like to go in to a public arena and everyone around you is wearing a mask, including you. Whether you wanted to or not, you masked up. Now, we mask physically in the hopes of preventing something bad from coming into our system, don't we? A contaminant. Doctors started this many years ago and they realized that they didn't want to contaminate a surgery venue. And so what they do is they they would make sure that they would have a mask on when they're operating on you. 
went to the dentist this week and my hygienist had a mask on and I was really glad that she did because I'm sure my breath was kicking after six months of not having had my hygienist look at my mouth. I'm glad that they had a mask on. There are some occasions, I, I don't like masks because I don't like to be covered up like that. I like to smile, I like to see everybody. Isn't it funny how we think that people don't know who we are with a mask on? I mean, listen, about a year and a half ago when we were all having a mask everywhere we went, I would try to dodge people at Kroger with my mask on. It didn't work. Why? Because they know how you walk. <laughs> people know your posture. People know who you are. You can't dodge people. That's why I just started shopping in Dayton. No, no, it's not really right. It is kind of true, actually. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Help me get back on here. I was over here on the point. Okay, mask. We, hey, honest confession is good for the soul, right? And sometimes you just get real honest when you get on stage and the lights are on. It's like you just, you got to tell the truth. But we wear masks to hope that we're going to prevent something bad into our lives. You know that figuratively, whether you've ever put on a paper or a cloth mask, you have worn a mask just about all your life. You wear masks in order to be portrayed or looked a certain way in the setting and environment you're in. Some people wear a funny mask. They're always funny. And, and I love being around funny people. I mean, it keeps me laughing. But if you really would talk with them, and I've talked with some of the people that, that I just think are hilarious, they're hysterical, is that there is an insecurity about being accepted many times that their funniness is a mask by which they put on to make sure that you don't get too deep, you don't get too close. There are some people that wear a mask of, of interest. They're, they're, they're really like, they act like they're very interested. In what, oh yeah, tell me more, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a mask until they meet somebody that really starts telling them exactly all the details they wanna know. And they're like, I wish I could just get out of this conversation. But we wear these masks. It may be a mask of, of funny. It may be a mask of serious. It may be a mask of interest. We figuratively put on these things to try to help the way we're portrayed. Social media has made this so easy. We are masters at, at curating how that we are looked upon in society because social media allows us to put up the 15th picture, not the first one that we took. Social media allows us to only report the positive things in our lives, not the things that we struggle with. Social media allows us to curate how that we are viewed in the eyes of other people. And so therefore we control to an extent how people feel about us and we mask up. But being pure in heart, being honest to your true condition, that's vulnerability, isn't it? That's tough. And the mission here at New Freedom Church is that we are real people experiencing real freedom. I didn't say we're perfect people. I didn't say we have it all figured out. I said we're real people. Being real means I take down the mask. I let you see what's going on on the inner part of my life. I let you in on the fact that I don't have it all together. Real people experiencing real freedom. Just think about how free that Adam and Eve would have been if they just fessed up. Think about how liberated that they would have felt if they would have just said, you know what, God, we messed it up. We ate the fruit. We shouldn't have done it. How do we get over this? But no, they hid. They were shameful. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled about the Celebrate Recovery ministry. And, and the chapter that we have here at our church is because Celebrate Recovery creates an environment, it provides this safe space where people can be real with God and real with others. Because 
nobody comes in there with the pretension that they have it all figured out. Everybody comes in with an attitude of, I may not struggle with what you're struggling with, but I struggle with something. And so what that makes me is a fellow struggler. Do we have any fellow strugglers in the house this morning? How about watching online? Anybody fellow strugglers out there? Come on. We all do. And so it's time to take down the mask. Real freedom comes, listen, when you have nothing to hide and nothing to protect. That is not the description of the American dream, by the way. That is not the description of most Americans in 2022 in our nation. Most of us have a lot to lose. We have a lot to hide. We have a lot of goods and possessions and things that we want to squirrel away and not let anybody know where they are. We'll arm ourselves and we'll defend ourselves and we'll fence our properties and we'll make sure that no one can get through to the things that we have to hide. Now, we may be proud of the things that we have to hide, but we're really attached to those things. And so therefore, we have to protect those things. But there is freedom that comes when you say, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to protect. Most of us, we have a reputation to protect, right? We have a family to protect. I'm not, I'm not advocating that you just lay down on life and, and never show any due diligence. But what I'm trying to say is, where's your trust? Where are you placing the affinity of being real? Where are you placing that desire to say, come what may, I belong to God. Whatever happens, I am not going to go into a shell of hiding and mask my life because I want my inner life to be pure. Several years ago, there was a cartoon called Inside Out. I'm gonna talk about Inside Out Living for a minute because this is the Jesus way of living. And this cartoon, Inside Out, uh, was meant to explain the emotions of the inner life. There were five primary characters which correlate with an emotion on the inside. There was joy, anger, sadness, disgust, and fear. And if you think about those five emotions, all of us display and have those five emotions. And it's kind of like a range of emotions. And it's almost like a wave too. You can, you can really be riding a, a high wave of joy and then you can get down, down, down in disgust. It's really like, like a cyclical thing. It happens to all of us. But, it, but in this clever little cartoon, uh, joy and anger are kind of the two um, uh, opposites that, that kind of have a tension. And, and all throughout the cartoon, you can see how that, that they're interplaying throughout this thing. And so th this was a, a neat illustration of how that as we experience these different emotions, human emotions, we give voice to or life to one or the other of these things or multiple sometimes at the same time. And it is showing us that from the inside, our lives are being coordinated to affect us on the outside. See, when someone has an outburst of wrath, it's not because they got mad on the outside. It was something that was precipitated from the inside. And Jesus says, the condition of your heart will determine what you actually see. That your vision is connected to something on the inside. And it's not just the optic nerve in your eye that what you uh, are able to view, what you're able to see is directly related to what's happening in your heart. You see your insight into your inner heart life will affect your outlook. It'll affect your outlook. It'll affect how you see everything. Jesus said it like this in Matthew uh, 23. Verse 25, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, 
hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. See, that's ritualistic living. But inside, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus taught about life lived from the inside out. Inside out living is Jesus' kind of living. Now, now think about what Jesus was saying there. Take a glass and try to wash the inside of the glass without at least splattering a little bit of water on the outside. It's very hard to do. Jesus was saying, if you clean the inside of the cup, the pitcher, the bowl, the glass, you can't help but to get the outside just a little bit clean. But if you are really careful, watch this, you can clean the outside pretty well without ever touching anything on the inside. What was Jesus saying? You can clean yourself up really good, come to church on Sunday morning, look really well. But on the inside, what's it like? Inside out living is, let's take care of the heart condition first. And then the outward appearance, it starts to follow suit. It will do what's already on the inside. Inside out living is the Jesus kind of living. Again, we look in the mirror, we get ourselves ready, we, we take care of the outward appearance. But what about the heart? Are we paying attention to the purity of our heart? Mark 7 and 23, verse 21st. These again are Jesus' words. He said, what comes out of man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of man, watch this, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and an evil eye blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all of these evil things come from within and defile a man. This week in our nation, most likely tomorrow, the Supreme Court is going to send out a couple of rulings. We've been waiting for them for a month. There is a anxious tension in our nation about what's going to happen, even warnings of rioting, and there's been threats and, and all kinds of turmoil that could happen as a result of someone not getting their way, and someone is not going to get their way. And we as believers have a choice. We can engage on the outside some physical war, send in the bombs and the tanks and, and let's just arm ourselves and let's go in the picket line and let's just go shout down the other side. Or we can really observe what the words of Jesus said that anything that is coming out vitriol, mean-spirited, angry, ugly, murders, hatred, evil eyes, any of that, if you focus on the outward of it, you're only dealing with the symptom. You're never getting to the root. The root is the heart of those on the other side. So how do we change a heart? Well, you and I can't change a heart, but God can. Amen. 
and as God's representatives on this earth, Jesus gave us the Beatitudes to show us what it looks like to live opposite of the world systems. Now we can easily lift the Old Testament text and smuggle it into our New Testament teaching, but then we're mixing syncretism with our teaching. The Old Testament, let's go march around the walls of Jericho and and shout the walls down. That was for a day and a time. And for them, Jesus came and said, I bring you a new commandment. The way that you are going to change hearts and minds is not through just having a stronger army, not through raising more money and having a bigger advocacy group. The way that you are going to change hearts and minds is by being pure in heart, is by being blessed, by being poor in spirit, by being the person of mercy, by by looking for God's kind of justice, realizing that you may never see things set right the way that you would like them on this earth, but know this, God is faithful and God is just and God does not miss anything out of his view. And what he said he will do, God will do. And so let us, let us pray, God, we pray for our nation. And we don't just pray for America, we pray for Americans. God, I'm not interested in you saving a government, I'm interested in you saving souls, saving people. There are hearts and minds who have been led astray and they are clouded and they are darkened by the evil one. As the seed of the gospel had been sown into their lives many years ago as a child, they got into secular education and humanistic teaching and they have had tears sown into their lives. And we wonder why are they like the way they are? It's because of what they've been exposed to. God, set it aright. God, change hearts, change minds. Use us as your people, your representatives to be salt and light, not vinegar and a hammer. We wanna be the hands and feet of Jesus. So God, we pray for our nation this week, the people of our country, the citizens, all that are under the banner of the United States of America that are going to be subjected to culture wars this week. God, we pray that your will be done, that you would intervene on our behalf. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. So here's the point. In order to see God, You have to deal with your inner life. You have to deal with the heart. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. Without such, no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace. It doesn't say you will achieve peace. You have to pursue it. Some people are not gonna be peaceful. Some people are not gonna be reasonable. Some people will not give you a hearing, but you should still pursue it. And holiness, because if you don't, you can't see God. To be able to see God is to recognize what he is doing already in your world. Not just the world, but your world. You have an individual world. So here's my challenge to you. Over the next seven days, I want you to ask God to search your inner life, to search your heart. I want you to ask God to put something of good report in your heart, something that is praiseworthy, something for the edification, the building up of your life. 
I want you to ask God over the next seven days, I, just, I want you to take a few minutes of, of quietness. Turn off your phone, turn off the TV, turn off the radio, get alone with God and ask God to examine your heart. Search me, oh God, know me, try me, know my anxious thoughts. And when you do, there's one more thing I want you to ask. I want you to ask God to open up your eyes. In fact, here is what I think would be appropriate for you to ask God. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. The eyes of your heart. Wait a minute, pastor. I've got eyes, but I have a heart. No, your heart has eyes. The pure in heart will see. How does your heart see? It's pure. So it will see God. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I wanna see you. Let's all stand together. Let's make that our anthem. Let's make it our prayer. Let's make it our purpose.